Um, so I heard a story recently about a guy who, he writes for the sports entertainment uh, blog Grantland. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But like a lot of us, this guy has a lot of really cool things about him. He lives in Brooklyn. He's got like those hip square glasses. He's a writer for a well-known uh, website. He also does stuff with the sketch comedy theater in New York. Like pretty cool stuff. But however, also like a lot of us, he's kind of a secret nerd. And his nerdiness comes out in that he likes to play this really intense, all-day, world conquest board game called Diplomacy. Uh, and which, you know, I'm a, I'm a Settlers of Catan man myself, but, you know, to each his own. And he actually, he signs himself up to be part of this world championships for this game, which, fittingly enough, took place in the basement of a dorm here at UNC. Uh, <laughs> And the problem was, though, that he knew that he was not a world championship level like player for diplomacy. He was good. He was not great. And so he calls in the big guns. He calls in some favors. He calls like somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And he gets connected with a guy named Dennis Ross, who I don't expect any of you to know his name. But Dennis Ross is a high-level, world-class diplomat who worked with Bill Clinton in the Middle East. He worked with the first Bush in the reunification of Germany. He's worked with Barack Obama in the Middle East. Like, the guy knows a thing or two about diplomacy, right? Like, he's played for some high stakes. And so he comes in and he sits with this Grantland writer for one day. And he walks him through, like, the backstabbing, the manipulation, the kind of cutthroat tactics, the kind of having the poker face and getting in there. And he just shepherds this guy through day one of the bottom basement of a dorm of this insane, like, all-day, like, nerd game. He was wise. He was experienced. He had played for much, much higher stakes than diplomacy board games. And the guy looked back and he said, you know, this guy was what got me through, like, this board game tournament. Can you guess what happened on day two? It was like blood in the water as soon as Dennis Ross left. I mean, shark attack. This dude just got pummeled. Why? Because all of a sudden, he didn't have this wise, experienced, been there, done that, God has shepherded him through this stuff. He was just regular dude getting hammered by really, really smart diplomacy nerds. And I tell that story... Because we'll all choose something as our guide through the ups and the downs of life. We'll all choose someone or something to shepherd us. And it might be like making my family happy. It might be looking for fulfillment in as many different types of experiences as possible. It might be being well thought of. It might be dating the right type of person. And as we go through the ups and the downs of life, and we look at these things that try to guide us or shepherd us, I think the question that we can ask ourselves is, is like, where is God in all this? How does God move me? How does God shape me? How does God lead me through life? Is this all me? Is this all chance? Like, where is God at in this? Because regardless of our circumstances and where we're at, God calls us to follow Him as our God and as our Good Shepherd. So tonight I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about three things from Psalm 23. What is a sheep? Who is our shepherd and where does he lead? What is the sheep? Who is the shepherd? Where does he lead? So let's read Psalm 23 and we'll get started here. 
This is David writing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father, um, as we come to you tonight, uh, Lord, I know that there are many of us here who are hurting in ways that uh, I can't even fathom. Um, Lord, there are those of us here who come feeling okay. God, wherever we are, um, Lord, I pray that you would be our shepherd tonight. Lord, in some way you've guided us here to this place and this time and this space with these people to hear your word. And Lord, uh, we know that apart from your work, we cannot hear it. Uh, we cannot see your work. But Lord, by your hand, um, Lord, I pray that you would apply the work of your son to our lives. So we would know you, we would trust you. God, we would follow you through life. Um, Lord, I pray that you would be our shepherd tonight. And you would help us to know your love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, what's a sheep? What's a sheep? Think about the way that David's portraying himself here. The metaphor of he's a sheep, God's a, a shepherd. Isn't that strange? Because in real life, David is a warrior, he's a king, he's a musician, he's a poet. He's kind of like this Renaissance guy. He's Mr. Carolina, right? Like he can do anything, he's super well rounded, he's really experienced. He's got it all going on. But here, as he looks at himself, he says, you know, I'm a sheep. And we can go into things like pastoral analogies or thinking about like farm life and kind of have a romanticized view. Like me and my friends, we could start a farm and we could like raise like farm to table stuff and it would be cool. Like David grew up on a farm. He has none of those illusions. He was a shepherd for a long time. He knows what sheep are like. He knows that they smell. He knows they're not that bright. He knows that they're essentially a meat popsicle covered in wool. They don't have any claws. They don't have any sharp teeth. Like, their survival strategy is, like, cluster in a group and hope that you're not the one that gets eaten. Like, that's the sheep's plan. And so the, de- the image that David gives us here is one of dependence. That, God, all the abilities that I have, the intelligence that I have, the skills you've given me, the ability to play music, to be a warrior, to be a poet, to be a great leader, none of those things compare to your leadership. None of those things compare to the way that you guide me and love me and carry me through life. God, in comparison to you, I am a sheep. I'm a sheep. Even with all the abilities you've given me, I'm a sheep compared to you, the shepherd. So if that's what the sheep is, then who is a shepherd? David, look at verse 1 here. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The shepherd is familiar. He's close. He knows what's going on with the sheep because he spends a ton of time with them. And David here uses Lord, L-O-R-D, capital. I don't know if that wound up on there. Yeah, capital. When you see that, 
That means the translation in the Bible is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Which means that God is familiar with David. David knows this specific God. He's saying this isn't just some God out there. This isn't someone who I've just kind of thought about what kind of God would I like. And I kind of bring those elements together and I'll write a sweet poem about him. David is saying, this is the God who led Moses and Israel out of Egypt. This is the God that the Bible talks about. This is the God who made the world. This is the God who gives life and who sets free. And He's not distant. He's close and He's familiar. He knows me because He is my shepherd. And because this is the kind of shepherd that He is, who gives life, who has a rod, like think police baton, to like fend off my enemies, who carries a staff, think like a shepherd's crook, like your candy cane, to guide me. I will not want. He will give me everything that I need And I will never live apart from His provision. I will never starve. I will never be apart from His hand. Everything that comes in my life is from Him. Tim Keller tells us not to think about this knowledge, to think about how this knowledge changes the way that we pray. You see, in our natural state, people try to use prayer to get things. Like, we can believe in God or believe in the idea of God, but a lot of times our deepest hopes and our deepest desires lie in our social relationships, our achievements. And therefore, when we pray, we mainly, we're praying when we're in trouble or when success is on the line. Like, God, please send someone to ask me out. God, I've been good and studied hard and I believe in you. Like, now I need an A. He's closer to a genie or closer to kind of a grandfather than to a shepherd who personally guides you through life. And after a while, don't those prayers feel boring? Don't they lack life? They're not familiar. They're not intimate. We don't spend time adoring or praising God because we only pray when circumstances force us to. Why? Because all those forms of prayer are self-salvation. We do our part. God does His part. But when you start to see God as the one who gives you everything at no cost to you and at great cost to Himself as my shepherd, in whom I will not want, in whom all your wants and all your needs are supplied, then you begin to see the magnitude of not just the riches and the blessings that He gives you, but you actually see Him, that He is my shepherd. And it's then that you begin to actually want to know Him for who He is. And that's where intimacy comes. That's where real love comes. To know God for Himself It's only at this point that we we really experience that love relationship that we want with Him. What is the sign that the gospel has truly taken root in your heart? When you long to know God and serve Him out of love. That's how you know that the gospel is at work in your heart. Do you know Him as your shepherd? Does He satisfy the desires of your soul? Can you say, Lord, in riches, in poverty, in sickness, and in health, I want to know you as my God. I want to know you as my shepherd. Because it's only at this point that a real loving relationship that sets you free is established. So if that's the case, where does the shepherd lead? Where does the shepherd lead? Look at all the places that David says that he goes. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. 
but, but also through the valley of the shadow of death. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And ultimately, He takes me to His home. You see, there's some really good, really soul-satisfying places that God takes David. But David's not kind of just giving you platitudes or kind of religious moralisms and saying, God will make everything work out and you won't ever like, hurt or have hard times in life. David says, no, like, God has led me into the valley of the shadow of death. Like, that feels pretty real, right? This psalm cuts against two pitfalls that I think we can run into. One says, I am the one responsible for my prosperity. The good things in life, the successes that I have, those come from me. I set my table. I eat by my hand. Everything that I'll have, that's because of my hard work or my brains up here. On the other hand, though, it also helps us to avoid, but when things aren't going well, God's forgotten about me, He's angry with me, things have suddenly spun out of His control, He's not really there. David walks between both those things and saying, neither one of these are the reality that I'm experiencing with God. And he's seen a lot of stuff. Like, David knew the temptation of both of these realities. Even though he became a king of Israel, he, st- he lived a very turbulent life. It wasn't all palaces. Like, he started off as a shepherd. He gets secretly anointed king by, like, the prophet Samuel. But guess what? There's another king in Israel when he's anointed. There's Saul. And so David is king, and Saul is king. David kills Goliath. That's a huge, like, that's a high point, right? But then Saul gets jealous because everyone goes after David. And Saul tries to pin him to a wall with a spear. Like, bad day at the office. Like when your boss tries to murder you. Right? David goes on the run, becomes like a bandit king, lives in caves. Saul is trying to kill him. Later on, though, David becomes king. But then he gets driven out of the kingdom by his son. There's all these high points, all these low points. David eventually becomes king again. And throughout it all, he says, you know, the good stuff when it came, that was not all me. God, that was your work. You led me beside those still waters and you supplied what I needed. And Lord, those hard times when they came, that wasn't because you hated me or you forgot me or you abandoned me or things were out of your control. That was part of your good work in my life as well. Like, David deals with all these things because he understands who the shepherd is. But he also stands that, understands that God's definition of what's good for us is bigger than our definition of what's good for us, right? Like, good for us, a lot of good for us feels like when I'm with someone that's really attractive and I feel like I belong to this cool friend group and I live a comfortable life and I'm well thought of by the people around me, that's good for me. But God's definition of what's good for us includes more than those things. He's not trying to torpedo that stuff in your life. You can have those things and still follow God. But He's not focused on getting those things for you. What's more important to Him is that we would know Him as our good shepherd and that we would follow Him, body and soul, heart and mind, to where He's leading us. Which is to know Him more and more deeply. To know Him with genuine intimacy. To be able to say, God, when I have good things, these will not rule me. I will look at You and be glad. And Lord, when bad things come to my life, 
when heartbreak comes, when disappointment comes, you haven't forgotten me. I know that you're with me as well. Because here's the deal, y'all. That my perception of a situation, whether it's high or whether it's low, good or bad, is not necessarily trustworthy. I don't know everything in this situation, right? You don't know how all your circumstances are going to go. And when something begins, you don't know how it will end. There are lots of things in life that start off in the world and look great, but end up in flames. Some of you all come from really broken homes that didn't start out that way. Some of you all came to college and you got ran over, and you didn't expect that. But it's been hard. And God is with you in that too. But you don't know how those circumstances will start. On the other hand, there are things that look like garbage when they start out, and they turn out really, really well. On my first date with Katie, like we went ice skating, and I hate ice skating. <laughs> I'm really afraid I'm going to fall down and someone's going to like skate over my fingers. Uh, <laughs> true fact. All, and then we went to the Bonefish Grill, like a nice chain restaurant, and I was so, yeah, it's classy. I was so nervous that I actually like threw up in the bathroom. Not a great way to start a relationship. But here we are seven years later, and it seems like it's worked out. <laughs> Things that start out poorly can end well. But you don't always know the way your circumstances will go, right? You don't always know. Like Things can happen. But the point of this psalm is that you may not know your path. But you can know your God. And God is working out a plan for each one of your lives. And your life isn't meaningless. It's going somewhere. God is taking you somewhere. Through good things and through bad things, God is at work. God is at work in your life. However, look at what David says here about God leading him on the paths of righteousness. The right path goes to restorative places, to places where your soul is healed and knit together, but it also takes you to the valley of the shadow of death. The right path can't just be a comfortable path because we can be comfortable and be very far from God. And that means at times that you can work really hard to get into a program and still not get in. Or you can do everything right in a friendship and it still may not work out. The good person can suffer in spite of doing good. Does that mean that it's not part of God's work in your life? No. It just means that the right path isn't the easy path. And it means that the path that can is hard is sometimes there to keep you close to the shepherd. As he leads David through the ups and the downs of life, it is though God is asking, do you think I can be any less good to you when you're happy and by every metric of life you're doing well as when you're unhappy and by almost any account you're not doing well? Do those, do those things cancel each other out? Does one mean that I love you and the other mean that I don't love you? Or does one mean that I'm in charge and the other mean that I'm not in charge? No. No. It just means that nothing in life that is great is ever easy. And that hard things come to good people. And nobody gets that better than God. Nobody gets that better than God. Look, God's goodness 
It's not an attitude towards you. It's an attribute of His. His goodness is the essence of His person. And He can't leave that or forsake that or give that up. He doesn't have a bad day where He just quits being good to you. He is always good. There's a big deal theologian from back in the day um, named Jonathan Edwards. And he looked at this psalm, he looked at the Bible, he looked at suffering, he looked at who God was, and he said, you know, there are three things that you can know about the way that God leads His people through life. Three things. That God will turn even the bad things around for your good in the end. That your good things can't ever be taken away from you. And that the best things are yet to come. And when David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He means it. So if you are in Christ, that means you are pursued by God's steadfast, unbreakable love. And He's promised He will never leave you or forsake you. That He's shaping your life in such a way that He's bringing you to a place where there will be no more enemies or sorrow or death or tears. And He's actually leading you through those things for your good. That there's a time coming in your life where you will never feel apart from His presence. Or you'll never feel cold towards Him. Or wonder where He is or what He's doing. And you will one day see Him face to face. And if that was built on our work, then we would have a lot to be very nervous about. I am a sheep. Which means that I'm toothless and I'm a meat popsicle covered in wool. But God is the Good Shepherd. God is the Good Shepherd. Is the Gospel about how much you love God. And how hard you work for Him. And all the things you can do for Him. No. The Gospel is about how much God loves you. And His work on your behalf. And what He does for you. And ultimately He's done all these things for you in Christ. Jesus is the one who struck down by His enemies. So that you could eat in front of yours. His cup overflowed with cursing so that yours would overflow with God's blessing. Jesus left His Father's house so that you could be welcomed into God's house as a son or a daughter. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. Jesus is the lamb who slaughtered on your behalf. He does everything. With His rod, He defends you. With His staff, He guides you. He knows your tears. He knows your joy. He leads you because He's gone ahead of you. He's borne a cross on your behalf. And He is with you. I'll end with this. I used this illustration in the last semester, but it's too perfect for this not to use it again. Um, But I read a story last semester about a sheep named Shrek. And this is a sheep that lived in New Zealand, and he wandered away from his flock one day about seven years ago, and he avoided capture for six years by hiding by himself in caves in New Zealand. And when he was finally caught, he had so much wool from not being shaved that the wool like had gone over his face and covered his eyes so he could barely see. And normally a sheep, when it's shorn, has 10 pounds of wool on it. Shrek had 60 pounds of wool. Can you imagine how heavy that is? People said that it was the equivalent of 27 men's regular size suits worth of wool. 
That is so much wool, y'all. <laughs> Can you imagine how heavy that would be? Can you imagine how for an animal that's supposed to live with others, how lonely that would be to live in a cave by yourself? Do you know what they did with Shrek when they finally caught him? And they shaved him and they took his wool and made it into men's suits. This is my favorite part of the story. They took him to New Zealand's parliament and he met the prime minister and they threw a party for Shrek. Can you imagine that? Like the head of a sovereign nation state is throwing a party for a sheep because they found the sheep. Y'all, that's the gospel. That God, when He finds you and seeks you out, He throws a party for you. And He delights in you. And all the weight that you carry in life, the sorrows and the sin and the secret addictions and the anger and the depression, Jesus carries that. And He wears that. And He gives you His perfect clothes. And He makes you a son or a daughter. I mean, He throws a party for you. And that is so good. And that is so real. And that's God's work in your life. So let's pray that we would know Him in that way and follow Him to that party. Let's pray now. Father, thank You for Your love for us. Lord, that when we were wandering like sheep, You laid down the life of Your shepherd. Lord, that He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that we deserved, He carried. Lord, that by His stripes we are healed. Lord, I pray that You would work that truth into our hearts, into our lives. Lord, that we would know that to follow You is just not, is just not a system of rules and moralism. And it's not being weighed down with guilt. But Lord, that it's perfect freedom. Lord, that it's freedom from sin and saying no to evil in our lives. And saying no to living apart from people. And saying no to blindness. And Lord, that it's the freedom to say yes to light and truth. And the joy of knowing You and being known by one another. Lord, I pray You'd work this into our lives. I pray You'd help us to follow You. And to know You in both the good things in our lives and the hard things in our lives. And to be free. And free in Your Son. In His name we pray. Amen.